good Sunday night to everyone listening on and welcome to E-Wave Sports, Fox Sports Radio, Las Vegas. That's 98.9 FM, 1340 AM. Tim Unglesby, Tom Barton with you here on your Super Sunday night, the holiday edition. And we have plenty going on in the world of sports tonight. We are going to discuss the NBA playoffs, a lot of Major League Baseball, the Golden Knights. Obviously, uh, down the stretch we come, will they make the playoffs? We'll talk about all that tonight here on E-Wave Sports. But first, as I mentioned, let me bring in my co-host from TomBartonSports.com, Mr. Tommy Barton. And Tom, just to get the, the – the, before we jump into the world of sports – it was a holiday today. I hope yours was good. Yeah, mine was very good. Uh, happy Easter, everybody out there. Good stuff. We uh, broke out the, the barbecue, and it was real nice. Uh, you know, a couple of London broils I marinated for uh, two-plus days, hung out with the kids, you know, went on some Easter egg hunt. So a real good day. How about you? Yeah, pretty much basically the same as you. Spent, spent a lot of time in front of the TV, and I think, you know, when we look at this this day, it always seems about the time that you'll have your NBA playoffs, your Major League Baseball, you're with your family, and then it just kind of, you know, as the course of the day winds down, Tommy, and maybe for the kids, the sugar rush catches up, you, you get to really zone in on some uh, sports, you know. Yeah, it was a huge sports weekend, right? I mean... The entire weekend was just jam-packed. It felt like um, I almost couldn't even get some baseball in it. You know where baseball is on my priority list. It was all NBA, lots of uh, NHL, just kind of teams kind of shuffling around. And I, I had to flip the channel and kind of get my baseball in there. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk baseball tonight for sure. But let's talk about the NBA playoffs. Tom, you know, spent a lot of this year not necessarily having the time to discuss the NBA. And I don't know whether that was more, uh, it wasn't worth talking about it or that I just didn't follow it as much as I have in the past, Tom. But it's the playoffs and, and you kind of like zone, rezone key in, especially for a guy who followed it all season long. And at Tom Barton Sports, Tommy, it wasn't, there, look, there's thousands of games, right? He literally released a handful of games, 85 percent or better this season yeah 17 and 4 this year that's it Tim 21 games that's it 17 and 4 that's all I played with 21 games it's tough to to be real disciplined but you know you got to pick your spot you have to really go out there and sort of say okay here's where and look I'm not gonna lie and say that there's not some luck involved to get to 17 and 4 I was 16 and 4 and I had in game one, I had Utah minus five. They win by six. You know, I mean, there was some obviously luck involved, but 17 and four speaks volumes. And the same thing with the NHL. I have really reduced my amount of games that I'm playing over the last couple of years with the NHL. As you know, last year I finished above 70% in the NHL. The year before that, I finished 70% in the NHL. And the reason was I was really, really going out there and picking my spots. Well, the NBA has been even, even more of a situation where you just got to pick your spots. Here in the playoffs, it might be a little bit different here. I might really start amping it up a little bit because I do see some mistakes. Now, early on, like I said, I played one game. Uh, that's it. That, that's all it was. I'm seeing guys put out four, five, six games. Just pick your spots, and you will be able to find some cracks in the armor. 
Tim, I, I do want to address one thing you said. You hadn't really watched NBA all that much this year. And a new report just came out um, that if everybody sees it, I put it out on Tom Barton Sports. I retweeted it, I should say, on Tom Barton Sports. And this is a morning consulate. This is consult. This is a huge new report that is eye-opening. Share of U.S. adults who identify as fans of the college sports or leagues. NFL is number one at 67%, of course. Tim, Major League Baseball is number two. College football comes next, and at 46%, barely edging out college basketball in the NBA, and not even 10 points higher than the NHL. There's eight points that separate the NBA and NHL, which is pretty shocking when you really think about it. Um, the same amount, I should say, actually more, more of a percentage separates Major League Baseball and the NBA. The NBA is, is dying as far as fans are concerned. The NBA product has become almost unwatchable at times. The product itself has been dragging. The regular season is dragging. The style of play is unappealing. But all of a sudden, we get into the playoffs here, Tim, and the matchups are dynamic. Boston-Brooklyn, I talked about it this morning on SGM. Boston-Brooklyn is the best 2-7 matchup we've had in NHL in NBA history. So... It is a really a time where I think at the NBA, when LeBron is out, he's no longer the focus, thank goodness for the NBA. I really think that with LeBron being out, other guys can really capture the crown here and really propel the sport back up. I agree. I think that with him not being in the in the playoffs, it takes that attention that the media, the uh, fanboys, whatever you want to call it, it turns that attention, spins it to the rest of the league. We, which is much more deserved of that attention at this point in his career. And I don't want to talk about his, his great season. It doesn't mean anything to me, you know. But I, I did find myself, Tommy, in between doing the egg hunt and having dinner that the Bucks and the Bulls were on. And, and um, I found myself just sucked into this terrible caliber of basketball for, for, for a while. And I know a lot of people thought that this was a great game, but I, I just didn't see it. And, and – can we start with this one, the 3-6 in the East? Game number one, the defending champion Bucks. I wouldn't say roller coaster season, right, Tommy? I think just really the regular season is what it is. But here in this game, and I know the I know Bulls, good offseason. They brought, you know, they changed up the dynamic of that team. But for me, it's like oh, maybe the Bucks are still stuck in that going through the motion situation right now. They get the win today, 93-86, but I was not impressed. No, and you said up and down season. Well, how about an up and down game here, Tim? I mean, the third quarter was ugly. The Bucks came out of the shoot just like we thought at home. Come out of the shoot, they're up thirteen, and then they go, okay, you know what? They're, they go into the half, and they go into the half down five. Um, uh, well, they you know, five, so they're still up eight, no problem. That third quarter was some of the, the worst, ugliest shooting that I've seen, and then the fourth quarter came. The Bulls scored 15 points the entire fourth quarter. The Bucks scored 19 points the entire fourth quarter. The second half of this game was as ugly as you can see. It was missed shot, big time, open layups and open. Uh, you know, there was a dunk missed and open shots under the basket. Three pointers that just were rattling around. It was an ugly display. I mean, if you are the Bulls, you want to say to yourself, you know what? We came back. We only lost this game by seven. We were in it. We came all the way back, and we took a lead late. We took a lead in the third quarter, late in the third. 
we can hold our head high? Well, maybe, but I don't think so. I mean, really, I, I don't think you could hold your head high with this going on. It, it was an ugly, ugly game. Uh, the minus 10, you know, basically you talk about the Bucks talking about surviving. They still won by seven, but they were never in a position where you felt like, yeah, a minus 10 could be in that range. It was a confusing game for that. I went out there this morning. I thought that New Yorkers handled their business. The one thing I will say is that I argued many times. I talked about this on my podcast. Want to bet and we dream week of the podcast, guys. Go check them out. I talked about uh, my podcast. I talked about it on my show this morning. Want to bet. I had the conversation. And the conversation surrounded the fact that the Bucks over the course of this run with Giannis, and uh, what their their kind of championship aspiration run here. They've always been a top ten defense. This year they were nineteenth in the NBA, so it was good to see their defense really step up and become the defense that we were used to once again. When you look at the matchup, right? The the Bucks. We always talk about who the better team is, right? I mean, like, in the, you know, the Bucks are the better team here, and they should win this series. When the playoffs started, who did you pinpoint as hoisting that trophy here in a few weeks? Well, you know, I, I was a little torn. I'm not going to lie. I In the East, I really wanted to take a shot with Boston. I just didn't believe that Boston or, or Brooklyn could go through the rigorous toll that we're going to take. It's going to take more than one. It was going to take more than kind of, uh, you know, a, a superhuman effort to kind of get there. I said – when you talk about value-wise, I like the Philadelphia 76 or 16 to 1. I like the value there. But at the end of the day, Tim, it made too much sense to take the Bucks. On the other side, everyone's on the sun. Memphis looked like an interesting bet. I've always liked Denver. I've always liked Utah. But really, to me, this was the Warriors or nothing. I thought when the Warriors were hot, and especially when Jordan Poole uh, now becomes that integral part, which he did in game one, I couldn't see anybody beating the Warriors. I took the Warriors to win. Who'd you have in East again? Philly? I had the Buck, but I, okay. I bet on the Sixers because I like the value of 16-1. So looking at what you saw today, we both agree that this wasn't the Bucks' best game. And um, the Bulls hung around for, for a while there. Do you, do you see this as becoming an issue where Milwaukee will, will just extend the series out and win it in four or five? Yeah, I think so. Again, I could walk away and say it was a discouraging second half. It was an ugly, just a poorly played second half. But what I was looking for with Milwaukee was, can you get that defense from 19th in the league back up to that top 10 league range? Is it possible? to get them back into that top 10 range. And I saw good defense tonight. I know there was a lot of ugly play, but I saw some good defense. The Bucks can win this whole thing, but they need that defense. So when you bet the NBA playoffs, Tommy, and I know this is something that's been talked about on many shows for years, the reaction or the overreaction to the first game versus the second game. So, when you look at game two, again, we're sitting there at a double-digit point spread for the Bucks, as now the line is already at 10. 
Yeah, I don't see much of a reaction here. Basically double digits is basically what we saw in the first. And most people just look at the final score. Look, seven points as close to the 10 that they almost covered today, right? It was right there. But that's not the reality of the game that we watched. Here's the thing. The Bucks played an awful second half. Terrible shooting. I can't emphasize how ugly the shooting was. Terrible shooting in the second half. Uh, there were times where Giannis was off the court, and they just couldn't do anything whatsoever. Their, their offense looked lost. They still won the game by seven. I mean, they still did. I expect a much cleaner game in game two. But you could also say, well, the Bulls found a little something. The Bulls found how to basically attack. And I, I heard the announcers even saying, well, you know what? Chicago found a way offensively to attack this team. Really? They put up 86 points. Yeah, you know? Yeah. Did they find a way to really attack the team? I look at it the other way. Now, Giannis had a fantastic game, 27.16 boards. Unbelievable game. I, but do I feel better that Chicago Bulls feel great offensively today and put up 86? Or do I feel better that the Bucks, who I'm looking for a top 10 defense that were right in 19, wound up holding them to 86? I, I kind of lean Milwaukee. And I look, I like them again. I like them today. I was on top of them today. And they kind of let me down if you're minus the 10. So I look at this Milwaukee team and I just go, yeah, I'm, I'm a little iffy about pulling the trigger on double digits. But it wouldn't shock me if they were, you know, eight, nine, ten point winners. I think that that's where they're going to be. Bucks ten right now for Game Two Wednesday. TNT at home in that one. So now we'll move Tom to the two seven. You mentioned it at the top of the show. The Boston Celtics, an unbelievable second half, pushing themselves into that two seed. Brooklyn has to go through the play-in tournament. They get it done. They get in as a seven seed, a team that had the best odds to win the, win the championship in, in, at the beginning of the season and a lot of turmoil through Brooklyn throughout the season with the new coach, uh, Harden situation. But here we are. Oh, yeah, the, the Irving vaccination situation. But here we are. Today, Tommy, a, a very exciting basketball game. The Celtics win 115-114, and they did it essentially on a last-second lay-in by Jason Tatum. They get the win at home in game one. Unbelievable game. It really was a, a tremendous finish. And the funny thing is, is that we're only going to talk about the end of that game because that's what we do. I mean, you know, you turn around, you're going to see Tatum. That's all we do is we talk about nothing but, but Tatum and what Boston did at the end of that game. But really, Boston came out and controlled this game from the very tip. They were up by a point after the first quarter. They, I don't think they trailed really early on. They were tied going into the half. They came out with a 35-24 third quarter. And even though they got blasted in the second, uh, in the fourth quarter, they wound up winning the game. Look, you, you know, we only concentrate in sports on the final result. But how we got there was Boston controlled the game for the opening tip on. They controlled the game every single quarter. And the fourth quarter, look, they could not get their offense going. That is, you can't argue that. But I like the idea that they really did let Kyrie, and I spoke about this this morning. Actually, my uh, Chris Wynn and myself were texting back and forth about this. They let Kyrie go nuts. They could let Durant go nuts. It's control the rest of the team. And that is exactly what they did. I think that their entire game plan really worked, right? I mean, Kevin Durant had a solid game. He was one from five for three points. He had 23 points. Kyrie had 39 Claxton, 13, Drogic, 14, Drummond, five, uh, eight, 
Brown five, Curry nine. It, no, they just prevent everybody else to, to not go off. This is the number one defense in the league, and their number one defense in the league without Williams, who I thought would let them drive the lane. Well, Kyrie drove the lane. Kyrie made his shot. Durant didn't have a great game tonight, but it was, it was this was kind of the Kyrie show. And Kyrie late almost became the hero. The thing is, is that Jason Tatum stepped up. Myself and Chris actually had a conversation this morning about is Jason Tatum an elite player? And I, I was hesitant. I said, to him, look, I like Jason Tatum. I think he will be an elite player, but I don't think he's there now because he's got to go out there and do something in the playoffs here and to show me he's an elite player. Well, this is the way to start the playoffs, right? Play. I mean, Jason Tatum did take over this game. 31-4 and 8 is not 31-9-5 and 6, but 31-4 and 8 with a W certainly is. That's what they need. This team needed that confidence boost because they didn't have Williams, yet they were able to win. Because Kyrie and Durant are otherworldly when they walk onto the court. And Boston said, we don't care. We won. Look at who we have. We have Tatum. And that is just a fantastic move moving forward in this series. They were favored in this Everybody was on Boston in this game. The Nets played real close. I think game two is an absolute dynamic game that we're going to get. This series was propelled as, look, this is going to be two against seven, the greatest two against seven in history. I don't think it's going to let up here, Tim. This is going to play out like one of those just absolutely monumental series. So a turning point for me in this game was in the fourth quarter. The Nets had come back, and they had taken the lead, and they, they were, I think they're at a point where you could say, this situation of, of events could have put Boston away. Brooklyn was up 107-102 with the ball. Durant clanked a jumper. Uh, Boston went down, hit a three, cut the lead to two. Brooklyn came back down, O foul on Durant, gave the ball back to Boston. They tied the game and it went way up till the end. And then again, when it came down to the crunch time, Durant misses which leads Boston to, to eventually be able to win the basketball game. Uh, that's, that's your superstar, right? I mean, this is a guy we've seen win big games in the past. Was it just he just didn't have it today, or was it maybe there, he was more concentrated on being the star today and winning this game, even though I think Irving had the hotter hand? Yeah, Kyrie was certainly the hot hand. And I think that we are going to see this over the course of the playoffs. We're going to see games where it, it's almost like the Philadelphia situation with Harden where, you know, he had 14 assists. That's how he was going to help that. I don't want to say Durant was a decoy today, but look, 22 points, it's nothing to sneeze at. If you flip this around and Durant had 39 and Kyrie had 22, you'd go, okay, that's a good game. It just happened to be a flip strip. And it happened to be a flip strip because, look, Kyrie, I think that you have to remember that these guys are not just video game characters. Kyrie, the last time he was on Boston, walked to the middle of the floor, stepped on the Boston Celtics fighting uh, mascot, stepped on his head, squished it in. He's got animosity. He's got problems. Now, Kyrie and Durant are best friends, right, or, or real close to the hip. You don't think that there was an internal conversation about Kyrie going, hey, man, this is going to be my game. I'm going to absolutely go off. And Durant said, no problem. I think that that definitely happened for game one. Let Kyrie go on. Let him get his frustration out on the team he hates. And let him just be that shot maker. I wouldn't read too much into this long term because I do believe that that was there. 
that was the situation where Durant let Kyrie be the guy because he needed to do it against the team he hated. You mentioned how you think this series is going to go. What about game two, though? That so We're coming right off the heels of this. We'll go back on Wednesday. Boston at home. Looks like it's about three, three and a half. Yeah, I, I tend to like Brooklyn in this spot. Uh, I, everybody was on Boston today. It made some sense. I think this is going to be a back-and-forth series, uh, just like the game was back-and-forth. I, I don't know if I can sit back and lay the money with Boston, but I, I'm not going to be betting Brooklyn either. This is one of those just-watch-it sort of series. I think it comes down to the last shot again. I think it's a spot where Durant has a much better game. If you're a prop player, I was all over Kyrie points today. Okay, I absolutely love it. But if I'm a prop player, I'll be all over Durant next game. I think it's going to be one of those spots. Okay, man, you got your frustration out. Now it's kind of my turn. And usually when Durant goes crazy like that, he, he can kind of just take over the game, especially late. I think it's going to be a close game. And as much as I like Tatum, as much as Tatum proved today, and as great of a game as Kyrie had, Durant's still the best player on the court. And I think that he's going to be the one with the ball and he'll be the one with to make that last shot. And it might be a one or two point Brooklyn win. I think it's going to be a classic. Tommy being a being somewhat a Celtics fan, you know, and growing up being a Celtics fan, you remember the time that Irving spent in Boston when Danny Age went out and made the big trade with, with Cleveland to get him and it produced nothing. You, you saw today the the Boston fans not you mentioned it, the way he disrespected the, the Garden and, and uh, the team, the franchise. You got to love, though, them giving it to him every time, literally for the whole game, every time he touched the ball, just boos and boos and boos. And I know he there's no doubt about it, but is he a guy that is so into his own head that he can turn things off like that? Or is that something that, even though they're professionals, Tom, is that something that maybe later on can eat, it, eat away at him in, in a, if, a game, if this series extends to seven games? I think we've seen with Kyrie, as good as he is, he can certainly be a guy that feeds off of emotion. The problem is, is that there are some guys that take that emotion and it works against them, and some guys that really harness it and they work for him. You, did you see Trey Young going to Atlanta here? Did you see Trey Young that the team is trying to kind of give a congratulating, hey, good season? He's out in the middle of the court waving goodbye the fans as he just ruined and ended their season. They're trying to give a standing ovation. He harnesses that negativity. He loves to be the villain. Well, Kyrie's much of the same. Kyrie doesn't care what you think. Kyrie doesn't care you know, how things go. No, Kyrie, it doesn't matter to Kyrie. None of that matters to Kyrie. What matters to Kyrie is go out there and play good basketball. I think he harnesses that. I think Kyrie watched the celebration and he watched him and he watched the city of Boston and he watched all of them sit back and really just go, Man, now, now I hate him even more. And I think he's going to harness him for another good game. I think when Kyrie Irving is on the court playing an engaged role, which is not all the time, but when he is, him, I mean, the guy's a Hall of Famer, without question. He, he right now is easily a top five player in the league when he's like that. I think he certainly can use that emotion to harness it as opposed to the other way. I thought he would have better games in Boston than he did in Brooklyn. Game two Wednesday, Boston three, three and a half at home. The early game today, 
so when we talked about the East, Tom, we said that we had the defending champion Bucks. We had the Celtics with the new head coach. The Sixers with a completely uh, mixing and matching pieces of that puzzle. Embiid, probably the player of the year. Harding in that mix now. No no more Ben Simmons coming in, in the postseason to ruin this for him. But it was the Miami Heat, two years removed from playing in the finals in the bubble. Now the number one seed in the East. And you said it, Trey Young and the Hawks come to town. And Miami, Tommy, just uh, a very, very dominant victory in game one, 115-91. to 91. Yeah, look, you know, I mean, 115-91, how can you spin this any other way than the Hawks are just totally outmatched? And we thought so. Miami is a weak number one seed, but they're still a number one seed. Uh, you look at Atlanta, they, they have all kinds of problems. If you neutralize Trey Young, this team goes in the tank, and they go in the tank real fast. Miami is not a team that is, is inexperienced. You look at Miami, the last two playoff out, the times that they were outed was by who? was by the champions the next year. I think Miami's flying way under the radar. But they really aren't as far as sports betters go, by the way, because Miami's got a very fair, very decent line. Uh, today, they were, you know, point favorites. Next game, just about the same. I think that when you look at a team that is young and built really, truly, strictly on one player like Trey Young, going up against a team that can be a good defensive team like Miami, it, it, you get into a tough spot, Tim, because if you neutralize that player, well, then they don't have a chance. Well, Miami's going to be able to neutralize that player. They certainly were able to do it. You said it. it you know, my it's an Atlanta team that is young. It's focused around Trey Young. I know you have the veteran Gallinari there who had a good game today. But other than that, Tommy, really, it's it's uh, it is what it is. They're a fringe playoff team that's rebuilding against a veteran lane team. You said it. Look at the look at the amount of playoff games that the Butlers and the Tuckers and Lowrys out of bio. That's a lot of playoff experience there, and it's I don't I don't look for plus point wins every game, Tom. But I think this is a series that they should dominate, and I don't even know if Atlanta gets a win here. Yeah, I'll give Miami one. I mean Atlanta one win at home just because they are a very good home team. I mean they look. This is a team coming into the playoffs here, sixteen and twenty-five away. I mean, they, they were miserable. Sixteen wins away, Tim. I don't know, forty wins, forty games. That's terrible. They're a terrible away team. But at home, you flip that script, right? And I mean, at home, they're a dynamic. Team. I'll give them one home win, uh, but my, Miami should dominate the series. Game two will be Tuesday, so one best day rest for the Hawks and the Heat. Then the other two series we talked about, and Lion opening. Or at sitting at Tom, the Heat seven and a half point favorites at home. I think that's a fair a fair number. Um, they're at home again. I don't love laying that number with this kind of Miami team not because they can't get there. I just don't like the, the big number against this. I'll probably lay off, but it's Miami or nothing. You can't get me to bet Atlanta in game. And Tom, this round out the East. We'll go back. To yesterday, where the team we talked about a little bit, the Sixers, the four seed. They, they again, another game where it's just dominant over the Toronto Raptors, 131 111, the five seed. They win game one, Tom. And is this the Sixers team you're talking about? Well, here's why the Sixers were so dominant. 
because Embiid did not shoot the ball well, they still blew this team out from start to finish, right? I, I, you know, you could start to talk about you know that kind of play and that kind of quality of play. Tim, how do you beat this team? I mean, how do you beat this team with a guy like Maxi going off at thirty-eight? Maxi's going off at thirty-eight, um, and that's you know you look up and down kind of the league, and that's kind of the question you have to ask yourself when that those secondary guys go absolutely off. Look, Giannis had a great game today. Tatum had a great game. Irving had a great game. It's when those secondary guys going back to Miami. You know, Robinson had twenty-seven points. So it wasn't Jimmy Butler that went nuts. Robinson had twenty-seven points. You know, in Phoenix, I look at and I go, okay, well now you got Chris Paul back. Chris Paul, we're, we're expecting him. Okay, sure. What about the Warriors? Jordan Poole was the guy that went nuts. So it's those secondary guys that I'm using kind of air quotes here. And if they go crazy on a good team, you're just not going to be able to stop them. Game two will be tonight. Well, after, after midnight, it'll be tonight. Tom, it's seven. So the six is a seven-point favorite game two. Now look, you got you to gotta like what the Philadelphia Sixers did. Harden did not have a great game. He had 14 assists, but he had, uh, what, 22 points. Harden didn't have a great Joel Embiid, Philip Statue didn't have a great shooting game. This was Tyree Maxey with 38 points. You can't expect him to get 38, but I do expect a better shooting game from Harden. Uh, I do expect Embiid to have a better shooting game. But Toronto is also in a spot where you go, look, they, they got blasted from three-point range. Absolutely blasted. I don't expect the Sixers to be hit that well from outside again. I can't think that you know, the Raptors struggled such, so badly defensively. I mean, they were they were absolutely terrible. And what's weird is that the Raptors come out of the playoffs all the time. Five and 17 in their history of playoffs in season openings for, for whatever reason. Offensively, they didn't play bad. They, allowed all, uh, they connected almost 50% of their field goals. They shot 40% from three. They had good numbers, okay? Uh, so... I think that the Sixers, you know, shooting 50% from three point and taking a lot of them, it's just not going to last. I can't imagine Philadelphia shooting this kind of lights out. I can't expect Maxi to shoot this kind of lights out. But I'm a little bit torn, which leads me to say probably Raptors. But I'm a little torn because while Maxi is not going to get 38, I don't think Harden is going to have two bad shooting games in a row. I think he certainly improves. And then PV, although he's filled up the stat sheet, should be more efficient. 76 is going to win this game. I don't know if I can lay the seven out. To me, this is more like a four or five point line than a seven point line. Tommy Barton, Tom Barton Sports.com, Tim Unglesby. We are through game ones of the Eastern Conference. When we come back from the break, we'll look at the Western Conference game ones, including today's game or the late game tonight where we saw the. Western Conference champion Phoenix Suns in action. We'll break that down as well as the return of Steph Curry last night for the Golden State Warriors. Heat Wave Sports, Fox Sports Radio. Weird and it's just strange. Grown men wearing jerseys with another man's name on it. Like, are you in jail? Are you his bitch? It's just. Right, kind of like that one? That's different because it's in a frame. Now back to Heat Wave Sports. Here's Tom Barton and Tim Unglesby. Back at it here on a Sunday night. We have sports, Fox Sports Radio. We're with you every Saturday and Sunday, 10 p.m. at midnight. Tom, do you have any NBA jerseys? Do you, wear, do you have any like framed ones, or, or uh, do you wear any? 
No, I don't. <laughs> I, I never really liked the NBA jerseys there. Uh, you know, the cutoff sleeves. I had a Larry Bird jersey. I had a John Stockton jersey. I had a Carl Malone jersey and a David Robinson jersey in my life. I've had those. But I haven't had a jersey, uh, an NBA jersey, since I'm a teenager. Um, yeah. I haven't worn one since I'm a teacher. I never really got behind that guy. Like, I, you know, I did like, look, I like the Utah teams with Lonan and Stockton. I like David Robinson quite a bit. I was a big, massive Larry Bird fan. But after that, it, I need a jersey of a team that I'm just absolutely passionate with, or I need a jersey of a player that kind of just resonates as that kind of guy. I mean, uh, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big fan. I haven't had that in the NBA. So, no, I don't have uh, nothing there for me one way or the other with the NBA. What about you? I know you're a big Jersey guy. What about you? Do you have any uh, any Jersey that you're like, yeah, NBA-wise you just had to have? Huge baseball Jersey guy. Huge football Jersey guy. Obviously, I love watching your your YouTube videos on Tom because you always have a different type of Jersey on. But basketball-wise, I never I – never, I'm like you. I don't like the cutoff sleeve jerseys, but I have some memorabilia that I've collected over the years. And it wasn't for uh, personal, like, or I mean, it wasn't for monetary value purposes. Tom is more for just being a fan of those those players. So I have a bird. So these are all autographs. I have a bird. I have Steph Curry, and my prized one. It's a Larry Johnson UNLV jersey that's signed by him for the '91 title team in scripture or the 90 team so those are mine but they're those are i look at i don't i don't wear those ah that's a that that, that's a good one yeah i like that that that's how i am with with jerseys um yeah you see that i i do my youtube video do tom barton sports over on youtube and there are certain jerseys that look better what's weird is that football jerseys i have a collection of football jerseys i'm a guy that i will collect any team any jerseys you've probably seen me i put my mark brunel jersey i have a Derek Carr, david Carr jersey you know i'll go back i like nfl jerseys i like hockey jerseys now i don't have anybody you know on the back of the hockey jerseys but i like the feel of a hockey jersey i like the look of a hockey jersey uh, i don't have to have anybody my, my rangers jersey that i've had for 15 years has nobody on the back I mean, I like a good hockey jersey. Uh, in baseball, it's Yankees or nothing, really. I don't have – I have one other baseball jersey that I bought for myself, um, and that happened to be uh, just because I needed to play in it. Right? I was playing in a Dodger jersey. I never bought a jersey for myself. Now, when I owned the bar, Tim, I used to buy jerseys to hang up and to give away, but I would buy them in bulk. So I would buy these jerseys in massive bulk, Tim. And uh, when I bought these jerseys in massive bulk, uh, I have a lot of leftovers. So I, I have a, a Kansas City Royals jersey. I have you know a couple of different teams because I still was left with some bulk jerseys. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the ones I have, I just mentioned it, Tom. Steph Curry jersey. And he returned for game one of the first-round matchup with the Warriors and the Nuggets. Golden State, you know, Tom – we looked at the team in the preseason, and you knew Thompson was going to be out a significant amount of time, but he would be back. Curry shouldered the load with Dramon and, and, and um, James Wiseman, who, who was one of their first-round picks two years back. When you look at 
how they would move in through the season. And it was, I wouldn't say they were, were, were riddled with injuries, but their injuries were, were, were big in the fact that you saw Thompson out a significant amount of time. Then Curry goes out a significant amount of time. Weissman out for the playoffs. But the guy that you centered on was the, the uh, you wanted to see, I remember you said this back in November, was how Jordan Poole would acclimate once this team was healthy. And we really never got to see them all together. But now we have Tom. In, in a very limited amount of time, but they look good together. That that five, and this is without Wiseman now, but the five when you when you talk about the, the core guys there and, and the the addition of Jordan Poole, they they were very very impressive in game one with a 123-107 victory over the Nuggets, and that's a Nugget team, Tommy. That they, there's no doubt about it, they're going to score points, right? So I thought they looked good in their limited amount of time, and I'm looking forward to seeing how Kerr stretches that that unit out and more and more time they spend together. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this was kind of my deciding factor, why I thought the Warriors could win it all. Because everyone's concentrating on Steph coming back, with play with uh, Clay, play with Green, and we're all going, yeah, I mean, that's going to be fantastic. I don't think anybody was doubting that that was going to be absolutely fantastic. That combination, oh, man, I can't wait to see this. Oh, this is going to be awesome. This is going to be just great. Oh, boy, oh, man, uh, Tim, it's going to be – and then you go, whoa, 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 hold on a minute. And now you have a guy, Jordan Poole, now you have him in this rotation. Now, I don't know how Kerr is going to be able to put these guys together, find a situation where he doesn't become a bench guy. And I think that that really is going to be a hard situation to come up with him. I really do. I think it's going to be very difficult for Kerr to kind of mix and match and do it the right way and find this element. I think it's going to be very difficult. But uh, if he's able to, that's just an added element that Poole is the guy. I mean, he really, Tim, he's the guy on this team. And you look at a guy like Jordan Poole and you go, on a team with Clay and Steph and everybody else, if you're able to incorporate him, how do you stop this team? I mean, how do you stop them? You just can't. What we watched Jordan Poole do was elevate his game to a point of, I mean, this team is now dangerous, massively dangerous when you're talking about what they can be. Danger the Denver Nuggets, Tommy, I think. And, you know, you look at it, the season they've had. Look, there's no Murray. There's no Porter. They're not coming back for this. And I think that's that's a significant factor when you look at where they could have been with the, with a healthy team. Instead, they, they, they grab a six seed, but the matchup here is, is just not good for them. And, the, and let's face it, the, as far as the guards go, they just don't have the horses here. And Jokic can be Jokic. And Barton's played huge, your, your namesake, Tommy. But they're, they're just shorthanded, and this is where it's going to cost them in the series. Yeah, it really is. It's a shame that the two-time MVP, back-to-back MVP, is going to go home in the first round. But he just doesn't have the help. And you see what he did today. Look, he didn't have a fantastic game. Uh, but he had a solid, or yesterday, he had a solid game, Tim. Mm-hmm. Solid game. But he, he's only one guy. They are playing the situation, kind of what I just represented, where, yeah, okay, you go get your points. Okay, yeah, you're fine. Well, we'll let we'll let you be the MVP tonight, and you dump in 30, 10, and, and 5. Yeah, yeah. We'll give you that every single night because the rest of your team has nothing. You have nothing else to offer. And that really is the way that they're going to approach us. And I got to tell you, Tim, I look at it and I go, they're right. I mean, they really – the Warriors are right. You go out there and you approach it like this, yeah, that's how you're going to come up. You're going to come up lame. You're going to come up short. You're going to 
be behind the eight ball because of the way that the team is just set up. Jokic is very, very good. It's a, it's just a really bad matchup for them. It's small ball. It's run around. It's play, uh, you know, deep shooting. It's a good bench. All things that Denver lacks. It's just not a good series. Next game will be tomorrow night in in uh, the Bay Area, Tom, and the, and the Warriors a seven point favorite. Yeah, I mean, there's there's such a scare for me when you're talking about you know who this team can be in Denver that I know at stretches, and I also think that they will steal a game. Where will this game be? Probably not in Golden State. But the one thing you do have to say here is that we do know that Curry's minutes are being limited. We know that for a fact that Curry is, is having his limit, you know, in, uh, minutes limited. So I don't think that's going to change here. I think that Steve Kerr is saying, oh, we're going to win the series no matter what. We don't have to extend him. Maybe this is a spot that Denver could steal it. I'm not betting that, but I don't want to lay the money. I think that Denver's probably a better shot to win one of these games at home. But I also think that game three at home on the road, I should say, for a Warriors team will focus them more than normal. I think that they'll be way more focused and more way more concentrated. So that could be a deterrent as well. Game one, two versus seven. Minnesota goes to Memphis, Tommy. Battle of the superstar. Battle of the young superstars, Anthony Edwards and John Morant. And we got we got a great this could be a fun series to watch with these two guys, but Minnesota comes in and steals a game on the road, Tommy, and they do it pretty convincingly, 130 to 117. I was uh, not exactly stunned at how it went down, but I was stunned at the reaction of people being so stunned. It's game one of a series, game one of a series where the average age of this Memphis team is 24 years old. The youngest playoff roster that, that has ever started a series since 1951-52. They are led by John Morant, who is not only very young, but also very limited time. I mean, you know, he missed 25 games this year. The stage is massive. Memphis fans are crazy. You know, you look at Minnesota coming in off of that massive high. They found Anthony Edwards. Carl Anthony Towns is a matchup nightmare. They played now a playoff game is in their grasp. They've already had that. All of it, Tim, said, yeah, I think Minnesota's dangerous. I don't necessarily think that uh, – I, I thought that they were going to win, but Minnesota was dangerous. I, I think it settles down in game two. I, I'm just shocked that so many people go, oh, my goodness, I can't believe Memphis, a 24-year-old roster, it, you know, didn't bring their A game right away. Well, you know what? They're 24 years old, Tim. I, I wasn't all that shocked that they went down. I was shocked at the reaction. What's funny is that all those people reacted. All those people are shocked about Memphis. Oh, my goodness. The line is exactly the same. And I think that Memphis probably takes care of business in game three. Yeah, Memphis is six and a half, seven tomorrow. Or, uh, at home. You, you have to expect this is a... Let me rephrase that. You would think that we're going to go back and forth in this series, right, Tom? I I don't know if they get another win. I, I really don't. I think that this is a very, very good Memphis team. I think they just got caught off guard by the moment. And Minnesota wait, riding that wave, 
Minnesota can be beat in a number of ways, and Memphis just didn't show any of those. If you watch that game, Memphis got real good looks all game long. I mean, wide open shots, and it just wasn't falling. Shots where it goes up and you go, and it doesn't go in, you go, ah, ah, I can't get mad at them for taking that shot. You know, those kind of shots were all day long. I think they start to fall. I think we're going to see a completely different team when Memphis gets the lead and they kind of go on that run. Can Minnesota come back from those kind of crazy runs? The 4-5 Dallas, Utah, game one in Dallas. And we were looking forward to the Mitchell Luca show. And we're going to have to wait a little longer on Luca as he doesn't play game one, doesn't look like he's going to play in game two, Tommy. And Utah also goes in on the road and steals game to grab home series or home court advantage behind Donovan Mitchell's 32, 99, 93. They win game one. Yeah, look, this is uh, Donovan Mitchell had a horrendous, horrendous, horrendous shooting performance in the first half of that game. Three points. That was it. Then he went off 19 points in the third quarter, 11 points in the fourth quarter. He became the Donovan Mitchell that we all know that he is. I mean, that that's who he is. Donovan Mitchell became what we know in the playoffs, which is the second best active player in the playoffs in the postseason for scoring. Donovan Mitchell is that guy. And he showed us that he's that guy. I mean, he fully, completely showed us he is that guy. Well, I expect more of that the same. I think that Utah is the clear better team here. I think that Utah Jazz have to win this game. To me, that there is a there's a few must wins in not such a must win spot. You can't go back to Dallas one one Luca returning because all indications are Luca is going to walk on the court for Game Three, return at home. The crowd's going to be insane. Everyone's going to go nuts, and Luca's probably going to take the game over. You can't go down and be one one in that spot. Let them have their fun when you're up 2-0. Let them have that fun. I think the Jazz absolutely have to win this game. Now, you can tell me, well, you know what? When they go back to Salt Lake City, they have the home court advantage. They do. But I think Luka is that determined that it gets rid of the home field advantage or home court advantage in this spot. On the surface, Jazz don't have to win this game because it is a road game. As long as you get out 1-1, that's always the conversation. Yeah, but they are the favorites, and they're dealing with no Luka. So I think you have to win this game for Utah. The line is five, five and a half. I, I expected the Jazz to have their way with Dallas in the first game. I guess I discounted Dallas's defense because it looked good. But when you're going to be basically counting on Spencer Dinwiddie, who I'm a big fan of, but to, for him to be the number one offensive threat, and you look at Utah, Utah, the best offense in the league was held to under 100 points. The total is 205 here. This is the game where Everyone's looking at Dallas as that dangerous team. I think Utah has to win this game because Dallas is that dangerous team moving forward. I agree, and I like Utah tomorrow, actually. with Knowing that you said it, Dallas, look, great defensive effort, and I think a lot of motivation was there that without Luka, they wanted to, to show that they weren't just a, the Luka Doncic show, right? And they did that. They, look, Tom, they, they played great. Now real, real, uh, the realization is going to have to set in again. He's not going to be there for game two, and we got to do it again. Can they do it again? Maybe. But I also don't think you're going to see Donovan Mitchell go through that that slump that he had early in that game, and I think he's going to be very more consistent and take it over earlier 
And I think Utah will go home with a 2-0 lead. And like you said, that's going to be absolutely huge with the return of, of Luka and, and way this series plays out. If Utah wins tomorrow, I think Utah wins a series in six. Yeah, I, I, I think they have to win tomorrow. Mm-hmm. I don't think – here's the thing. I hate betting against a superstar. And as good as Donovan Mitchell is and as good as he is in the playoffs – there's no way that I want to bet against Luca at home in a game seven. All right. So I think they have to win tomorrow and they got to get in, in six games. I don't think that they can even attempt to go seven. So this is kind of a six game. You've got to get out. You have to do that kind of situation for them. And today we saw the one seed Phoenix Suns win game one at home, 110 99 over the eighth seeded New Orleans Pelicans. You touched on it early in the show, Tom. It was. It would look, it was a 12 point lead after one. It was a 19 point lead at the half, and they win going away. Chris Paul 30 and 10, Booker 25, 8 and 21. And I think you and I both agree this this one's going to be, I won't say the easiest series, Tom, but this Phoenix should have no issues in this series at all. No, they shouldn't, but I will tell you what, I, I am very impressed with what I saw with New Orleans, which I expected. On Sports Garden Show this morning, I sat back and I told everybody, guys, you know, this is an under game all day long. This looks like an under game. If you like the under, I'm taking the 11 points. Now, it was a push. i got to give a lot of credit to a Pelicans team that since C.J. McCollum has come here, they are a top 10 ranked defense, and they showed it. You held, you held Phoenix to only 110 points. Say what you want. Now, I know Phoenix's defense is fantastic. They only hold teams uh, to 107 points total. So their defense is great. I expected that. But I don't think people realize how good this New Orleans defense is now that McCollum is on the team. How do you look at game two lines? Again, double digits in this one, Tommy. I see 10. I see 10 and a half. I see an 11 somewhere, actually, too. Um, are you looking the same way? Is this a matchup of a, a lower scoring game, but Phoenix wins it? Same same kind of thing. Lower scoring, kind of lean towards that 11 because I, I'll take 11 points in low-scoring games all day long. And how do you – so the zigzag theory that always pops up, right? I think that the the variables behind that change over the course of years, it used to be the home team has to get – if they lose on at home somehow early, they get that win back on the road. You're looking at betting advantages. A lot has changed over the last – Hell, Tom, 20, 25 years in betting, right? Does the zigzag there even apply anymore? Not really. Um, what the NBA has become here, Tim, is the superstar theory. That's it. You, you don't bet against superstars in big spots. It's just become the league, and maybe why this is why all the fandom is waning here. The league has become a one-man, one-team kind of situation. And now we have running mates. Now you have Kyrie and Durant, and you have the duos and all of that. But it, it's don't bet against superstars and super spots. I mean, that is the situation. Now, LeBron could go against that because you could bet against LeBron all the time in big spots because he's a giant choke artist. But, I, I mean, generally the rule is give me the best player on the court in a tight spot, and I'm leaning that way. I don't care if it's home. I don't care if it's on the road. I don't care what the situation is. You know, you give me Giannis in a big spot. You give me Durant in a big spot. I go out there and you give me that player in that big spot. 
I'm going to take it. And what we start to get into here, Tim, is who's a bigger superstar, right? Don't we get into, into that kind of conversation? I mean, who's the bigger superstar, this guy or that guy? Who's the bigger superstar, one or two? And you start to break it down and get into that kind of who's the bigger superstar talk in that conversation. That starts to get intriguing because you're going to have to kind of pick your poison. That's the voice of Tom Barton, TomBartonSports.com. Tim Unglesby, it's Heatwave Sports here on a super Sunday night. Tommy, we digested two full days of, of game ones in the NBA overall. And like I said, I didn't watch a drop of NBA regular season, Tom. I, I read, paid, I stayed aware of where the, the standings were. I, I stayed aware of, of the players. I didn't watch it. I did digest a whole bunch the last two days. I actually enjoyed myself, Tom, and I don't know, like you said, if it was the LeBron factor or not, but I did enjoy myself here this weekend watching game ones, and I'm looking forward to the rest of this playoffs. Yeah, I am too. I Weirdly, I'm very excited for a playoff that I, I didn't think a month ago I'd be excited. Just the way that it's shaken out and the fact that we have so many teams that could win it, it adds a different element. And starting it off right away, usually I don't even care about the first – round of the playoffs. I'm like, come on. They're going to be garbage games. Everyone's 10-point favorites or more. They're all Milwaukee. They're all the Suns kind of games that, that you look at and you go, eh, maybe that team will get one. Maybe. maybe. I mean, we got we got Boston-Brooklyn, man. Game one. I mean, that's fantastic. We're going to turn the page. Hour one will be in the books. When we come back in hour two, we're going to start things off with not only an NHF, NHL preview of a preview of the playoffs as there's still some spots open in the Western Conference that involve the Vegas Golden Knights. We'll talk about what could be a huge, well it is going to be, if it happens it'll be a huge collapse. We'll break that all down for you an hour or two along with some Major League Baseball. Clayton Kershaw pulled from a game where he could have made history. We'll look at all that in hour two. It's Heatwave Sports, Fox Sports Radio, Las Vegas, 98.9 FM, 1340 AM. Now back to Heatwave Sports. Here we go, hour two, Heatwave Sports, Fox Sports Radio, Las Vegas. As always, we thank you for joining in tonight, holiday edition. Hope you had a good day out there whether it was with your family or watching the just great amount of basketball, baseball that was available to you, hockey as well. It was a, it was a good sports Sunday. And, Tommy, we're going to start things off in hour two with some NHL talk. I guess we'll just start with, with what we need to talk about, and, and that's there's six games left in the regular season. The Vegas Golden Knights – just a huge, huge – put themselves in a huge conundrum here, Tom, in that with six games to go, they are not a bank for the playoffs. And this is a situation where if they don't make the playoffs, Tommy, I don't even want to say collapse at this point anymore. I thought about it during the break. I don't even want to say underachieving. It's just a – disappointment's not even the right word. It's just a mess if they don't make the playoffs. Yeah, an absolute mess. I mean, you can talk on the level of how what, what are the greatest disappointments in, in <laughs> hockey, right? I mean, I'm not going to say sports history. That's the Lakers this year, obviously. But in hockey, and this is one of the massive ones. I mean, this is absolutely devastating. 
you look at a team like uh, like the Islanders, okay? And I live out here, so I understand. The Islanders had a disappointing season. People are acting like the world is crumbling. They had a disappointing season. They're not going to make the playoffs. And people are acting like, oh, my goodness, th- this this team that went to the playoffs and, wow, well, look at, look at what they did. And you go, okay, uh, they're, they're kind of reacting the right way. It is pretty devastating that the Islanders didn't make the playoffs. Um, but no way in nowhere, even the biggest Islander fan really thought that they were going to win the Stanley Cup. Okay. Vegas Golden Knights fans, people around this team, people that surrounded this team, they all believed that Vegas had a chance to win this whole thing. And going from win the whole thing to yeah, not even making the playoffs, this is kind of one of those franchise-defining moments now. It, it becomes a, a franchise-defining, uh-oh kind of moment. What did we do wrong? What can we fix? How can we make this better? Because this is a slap in the face. And, I mean, this is a wake-up call to Vegas Golden Knights fans. This is reality of what your team is. The Vegas Golden Knights, and I said this last year, I got a lot of flack from people around you know, town and uh, I'm crazy and all this stuff. I said that they have a persona around them right now. And maybe you don't feel it in Vegas, but this is the persona around America right now surrounding the Vegas Golden Knights. They're a failure team. They're a team that comes up short. They can't complete what they what they consistently do. And that's going to be even more impacted if they miss the playoffs. They have accomplished almost nothing in their NHL career. And when I say almost nothing, you need rings. You need championships, okay? Great year. Amazing year the first year. Oh, my goodness. Wow. I, it could you have, that, that was one of the greatest years you're ever going to have. At the end of the day, you didn't get a championship. All right, we're gonna come back the next year. Look at the look at the ridiculous talent we have. We're going out and making trades. We're gonna you came up short again. All right, you know what? We're gonna do it again. I mean, there's only so many times you could kind of go back to the well before people start saying, All right, you're a team that comes up short. You're a team that just can't quite get it done. You know what they start to become here, Tim, to give it in context of other teams. We remember how good the Minnesota Vikings were, right, Tim? I mean, for a long time, Minnesota was just that dynamic, dynamic team. Year in and year out, they went in 12, 13 games all the time. Man, that was they were a fantastic, dynamic team, Tim. Didn't get to the Super Bowl, just fell short. You look at you know, the Texas Rangers of the 90s, always a good team, always a big hitting team. Juan Gonzalez and all that, all, they just they couldn't quite get over the hump. And I think that we're starting to now look at, in a sports world, the Vegas Golden Knights in that same vein. Here's the thing. Once you climb the mountain and and just don't get there and just don't get the championship and just come up short, like I said before the year, sometimes you hit that wall. And if you go back and you play the tape of the NHL preview show that we did, I said, guys, I'm very scared. This could be the year that Vegas hits that wall. And with good teams that constantly fail and constantly come up short and constantly can't get that championship, what often happens is they hit that wall, Tim, and they hit it hard. And when I say hard, I mean missing the playoffs. And that's what Vegas looks like they're on the path to do. 
when you roar into something like a lion, Tom, you, you know, and into a fan base that for the majority of which weren't, I'd say, big time hockey fans, you build this image and aura of what people are supposed to get used to, right, Tom? And that's winning. And look, this franchise is what, five years old, but they came in gangbusters, like they've been a, a hardened NHL franchise that deserves that respect. Look, what what's become of this five-year run is an NHL Stanley Cup appearance in year one to possibly missing the playoffs now. And we talked about the cycle, the cycle of not life, but the cycle of sports life in that as much as you love the ups, there will be downs at some point. And I think you're right. I think they're on, on a, a roller coaster ride to the down. And it may not happen this year, Tom. They may make the playoffs. They may win a series or two in the in the playoffs. They may win the Stanley Cup. Hell. But that's that roller coaster is beginning to descent and it's a roller coaster of the business side of hockey and the, the, the money that it takes, the salary cap, all these these factors that they throw in that that the GM um originally in George McPhee, or I still think he's a GM anyways, behind the scenes, the the moves they made, including up until most recently acquiring Jack Eichel, right? These these pieces that, and, and uh, financial moves that they've made to make this team get a nice run in the playoffs, it's, it really has started to catch up to them and bite them in the ass. And here's the thing about the audacity, and I use that word very strongly of the Vegas fan base, is that you're coming, you know, Tom, and you follow it. You've, you've understood this, but back there, and I always talk about what's the what's the image of the Vegas Golden Knights outside of Las Vegas or outside of the West Coast, and you're always like, it's a joke. People think they're a joke, and that's what it's going to be here if they cannot get this job done. If they squeeze in the playoffs, Tom, and somehow find a way to to get a, a win in the, in the opening round, in the second round they lose, or even if they lose in the first round, let's just even go that route. I think a lot of the factors are going to be that they're going to blame this. And this was a, this was a, a, a built-in excuse early in the season that's really gaining steam right now is, oh, well, we've, had to, we've had tons of injuries. Well, guess what? That happens in every sport to every team. And, you know, how your team is built depth-wise determines where you factor in uh, longevity as far as the season and the playoffs go. And this team's been very good at moving money around, Tom, to get into the playoffs and, and keeping, you know, some of the star players out to keep them under the cap. And once we get in the playoffs, we know there's not a cap situation, but they got to get there first, Tom. And that's going to be a problem. And last week, we kind of broke down the schedule to where we get them. I think I had, at that time, uh, there was nine games left. I had four wins. I think you had five. And guess what? After three, we're both sitting at where we thought they would be. You just flip-flopped the Calgary win and the Vancouver loss. We both had them losing to Edmonton. So they're one and two heading into this week, three games, and we'll know a lot more next Sunday night, Tom, when they go into the final week of the regular season. But this week, three games at home starting tomorrow. You get Jersey, you get the Caps, and you get the dreaded Sharks. If they don't win two or three of these games, forget about it. It's over at that point. We know that. But what can you expect right now, Tom? We can't even guarantee that tomorrow they're going to go into a home game against the Jersey Devils where they're a $3 favorite at the window, we can't even say for sure that they're going to win that game tomorrow night. Well, there's a lot to unwrap there. Let, let's start and take it back for a moment on the fan base conversation that you had. Um, I think that you're right. A lot of the fan base in Vegas is, uh, I, I don't want to <laughs> try to pick my words carefully here, Tim, because I don't want to say unintelligent 
Um, but they come off as that. Whether they are brand new NHL fans, okay, brand new to the situation. Whether they are spoiled, I've heard that word thrown about about the Vegas fans quite a bit. Uh, whether it and, and listen, they're spoiled because they were good right away. Uh, but there's a, a certain arrogance that makes the Vegas Golden Knights in a very weird way almost a villain. And I think that everybody, when the Knights came into the league, I was one of those people that I was one of the first people that said, man, you know what? I'm getting myself a Knights jersey. It's going to be great to root for them. I, I can't wait. I was pumped up. And you were on the other side. And once it was announced how they built their team, Tim, I think the NHL set them up around the league to be considered the villains. I mean, they really did. Anybody that understands hockey knows that this team had an unfair advantage. All of their winning came because of that unfair advantage. The stack, the the deck was stacked against them, to use a Vegas term, right? I mean, it was everything was put in place for this team to win. And that's exactly what they did. Now, they didn't win at all, uh, but they won enough to grab that fan base. The NHL was smart, but it created... I am a a very, uh, I would say a, uh, I don't want to say a diehard. I'm a very big hockey fan, but I'm not a diehard. I know people that live and die by hockey all the time, okay? I will sit back and, you know, when, when we're not in a pandemic, I'll go to, you know, five, six, seven games a year. It's, that that's fine. I will watch quite a bit. And I didn't get the impression right away that Vegas was going to be universally accepted and and loved, but I didn't think that they would turn into this. And then you add into, okay, the the deck is stacked for you. Everything is handed to you and you're winning. Okay. How is your fan base going to react? And it's the fan base that is often the problem in a lot of sports. A lot of people hate the Yankees. Why? Because they hate the fan base. A lot of people hate the Lakers because they hate the fan base. As good as the team could be. Not a lot of people are hating the St. Louis Cardinals, Tim even though they're really good year after year. Why? Because the fan base is generally very intelligent, very subdued. You showed me a tweet, just to give you an idea. You showed me a tweet this week that somebody actually uh, went out there on on the Vegas side of things and defending the Vegas Knights and said that the Vegas Golden Knights accomplished more than the Islanders have in their entire history. (laughs) I I don't want to say that's the stupidest tweet that's ever been in, in Twitter history, But it's up there, and we're talking about Twitter, okay? I mean, that is the kind of pure, just absolute ignorance that you have coming from the fan base from the outsiders. Now, you could say, don't worry, that that guy doesn't represent us. He doesn't know anything about sports. Okay, you could throw that out there. And and sure, that's very viable. You're going to get that in any fan base. But the problem is it happened a lot, and blanket statements like that happen a lot, especially when you're calling out other fan bases and you're calling out teams that have had rich histories. Some of the richest histories in NHL history are getting blasted. There's a way to propel your team without disparaging other teams. So now listen, I'm not telling you guys how to be fans. You're going to go do it. The The Raiders do it. You know, I mean, look, the Patriots do it all the time. Um, there are certain fan bases, but then you have to accept the hate. And when you see something like this go down, and Vegas once again falling flat on their face, and this time in a substantial fashion, you can't now get angry at the rest of the country and the rest of the NHL world going, yeah, you kind of got what you deserve. I like this Vegas team. Generally, I like a lot of the moves they made. But I also 
understand they've made some terrible front office decisions on the way to get here. Now, I'm not telling you that Jack Eichel was a, was a bad move. No, but what we heard was that they're never going to lose a game again. I mean, these are the, the kind of the hoopla that you got. And again, the rich get richer. This fan base is now turning on Leonard. I, I mean, are we kidding me? You, you know, you're turning on this guy. One of the nicer guys in the sport has shown when you put a team around him, he could be a he could be a championship goalie. I mean, that's how good he is. But again, you also look at the Knights and you go, they got rid of Flurry. I mean, that move right there should have turned off a lot of people in the fan base. And from an outsider's perspective, there's not a rich history here in Vegas. But from an outsider's perspective, you do get attached to guys. And other fan bases were like, man, ah, what would it be like to lose our guy? In all, all kinds of sports. What would it be, be like, Tim, for the Angels to lose Mike Trout? What would it be, would it be like for the Dodgers to lose Kershaw? What would it be like for these teams to lose those big guys? What, what if Sidney Crosby uh, right, left pitch? What, what, what about that? What, what about these big-time names if they left? And you see how that is mistreated. So Vegas losing right now is being celebrated by a lot of NHL fans. I'm not taking a celebration route here at all. I want Vegas to win. I want them to be good. But I didn't, I didn't think that they were going to be. I kind of predicted exactly what is going on. Here's the thing. You said it. Now we'll break down the recovery here. You got six games to play. When they had nine games to play, I truly believe they had to win seven of those nine. Tim. I, I thought they had to win seven of the nine to ensure themselves a spot. We kind of broke down the schedule and said, if they win six of the nine, they may still be left out, but they'll probably be right there. Five, they need help. Four, they were done. Well, they did exactly what we thought on the road trip. Like you said, just flip Calgary and Vancouver, flip those out. So we're still sitting here with six games to play. Out of the last six games, you know, it's hard for me to sit back and say they have to win all six, Tim. But I think they kind of have to win all six. They've got to win five of six, including April 26th. And I told you guys two weeks ago, April 26th was going to be the date. April 26th was going to be the one. They had to get that win on April 26th. Because if you win six of you're going to be in because you're going to win against Dallas at the head, which knocks them out. But Dallas has game in hand. But if you win five of them, Tim, and one of those losses and that only loss is to Dallas, I don't know if you get in. I hate to say that there's no margin for error, but there may not be, be a margin for error here, Tim. You're looking yeah. at Jersey, Washington, San Jose, at Dallas, at Chicago, at St. Louis. Maybe Vegas gets a gift and that last game against St. Louis doesn't mean anything. Maybe. Okay. And I do think that they could go on the road against Chicago in that spot. I think they could win that game. San Jose, the hated San Jose, you got to win that game at home. And I think they do. And you pointed to tomorrow night's game, Jersey coming off of a long road trip. That actually helps out uh, for the, for the Knights. Although Jersey has been playing kind of inspired hockey here weirdly late, uh, but that's a game where you look at and you go, okay, Jersey in that spot, you got to win that game. So for me, Comes down to two games, Tim. Washington and at Dallas. Comes down to two. You don't have to win both, but I don't think you could lose both. I'm going to sit here and say right now, 
Vegas has one game error. They have a one game error. And I think it's Washington. I don't even think you can lose against Dallas. I think they got to win five of the next six. I'll give them Washington. They can lose against Washington and still win this thing. But I'm going to give them, they got to win five of the next six. The back door in for Vegas. I know I know you, you brought up the great point with Dallas sitting four points ahead of them and a game in hand. Dallas has, by the way, in the wild card. Nashville is the second wild card, also at 91 points. The win for Vegas, Tom, would be to grab the three seed out of the Pacific Division, which is the Kings sitting with 90 points. So there's a three-point differential there, but the Kings have played one extra game. So Vegas has a game there, and you're hoping for a King collapse and Vegas can kind of sneak in the back door to that third seed in the Pacific. But Tim, you mentioned this last time, not not to cut you off, but you mentioned yeah. this last time, Tim, yeah. okay, about the Kings thing. And here's why I discount that. Because they have Anaheim twice, Chicago at home, Seattle, and then a Vancouver team that won't care about the last game. Right. I have to look at this. And you could talk about the the Kings collapse. I got to look at this and say they'll split against Anaheim. They're going to beat Chicago at home. Okay. So that's two and one. They're going to beat Seattle. That's three and one. So I think at worst, you know, I I mean, well, they they got five games left. I think at worst, Tim, they're they're three and two. And they they might go four and one here over the last five games. I can't see that collapse that they're going to need. I can't see it either. I I was just stating that. That might be the easier road in is hoping the Kings, who have been a young team the last few years, build rebuilding to try to get back in the playoffs, somehow find a way to choke in this situation. I don't think it happens either, but I don't think they catch Dallas or Nashville. And here, here's the thing, Tom, is you're right. They have a one-game, I wouldn't even say cushion, but there's a one-game um, error, like you said. There's a one-game error there, and it really does come down to Washington. And keep your eye on this in that the Caps, so, so in the East – Every playoff spot is filled now, right? That's how dominant the eight teams that made the playoffs in the East were. The Islanders you talked about earlier were eliminated this weekend, and they're 15 points behind the Caps, who sit right now as as the uh, number two wild card. But the Caps can make some room up here in their last seven ga- or six or seven games here if they, they continue to win. And that's the thing you have to pay attention to is tomorrow night, not only are the Knights playing home against Jersey, but Washington is in Colorado for a game. And that's a very big game for Washington. Depending on what happens there, it says a lot of what could happen Wednesday night as well, Tom. It's not like the Caps are coming on this West West Coast road trip just settled in because they know they made the playoffs. They're trying to improve seeding here. So it's not it's not a given game for Washington. And I'm really interested to see how the Caps do in Colorado tomorrow night because if they lose that game, you better believe that they're going to be ready to come into Vegas Wednesday night. And uh, I know Wash. I know Vegas. You're you're saying in your mind it's a given. Like, look, they have to beat New Jersey and they should beat San Jose. But if we can steal a win and take Washington out on this home home trip, that sets us up well for the last three games of the season. It's a lot to ask for, Tom. You know that you can't really bank on them playing that way against Washington. They got to get through New Jersey first, and I'm not even sold on that. And the whole goaltending situation is a completely different mess for Vegas at this point. You know, I look at this Vegas team, and and like you said, I like them tomorrow against New Jersey. I like them because of the road trip of Jersey uh, more than anything else. Uh, you mentioned Washington. Uh, Washington's red hot, by the way. Absolutely red hot. And don't think that San Jose doesn't want to desperately go into your house and send you home. I mean, come on. But the reason why I concentrate on Dallas, Tim, 
first of all, they're the closest. But there's also a head-to-head. And there's also a chance here that Dallas can completely collapse in the next week. They are on their road trip. At Vancouver, tough game. That's tomorrow night. At Edmonton, tough game. That's Wednesday night. Followed up the next night at Calgary. I can see them going on with three, Tim. Right? So that's why I concentrate on Dallas. Now, their last stretches, Seattle, Vegas, Arizona, and Anaheim, all at home. They should clear the board there. Okay? If, obviously, uh, if they beat Vegas. They're gonna, they'll beat Seattle, Arizona, and Anaheim. But they could collapse. We can be having a completely different conversation next Sunday night because the three games this week at Vancouver, at Edmonton, at Calgary, I expect Dallas to be underdogs, big underdogs against Calgary, big underdogs against Edmonton, against Vancouver, kind of a pick game. They can go 0-3. They've got to win one. They've got to win one to really set up that April 26th meeting with Vegas. If they lose all three, you're going to watch this Vegas fan base go absolutely crazy. You want to? We talked about the worst of the Vegas fan base. How about the best of it? They're going to go absolutely nuts because all of a sudden, Vegas will be back in this thing. You take care of business. You're back in this thing. Here you go. You got that April 26th meeting, which I've been pointing to, to for two weeks. But, Tim, if somehow or another Dallas goes out there and they win two or three off of this road trip, I think it, I think that April 26th might mean nothing because Dallas could pull so far ahead. I only point to Dallas because the impending doom of a full collapse is really in hand when you look at Vancouver, Edmonton, and Calgary coming up. So what's your take with, with the goalie situation? Leonard is due to be back any time now. I know he had a family issue he had to attend to, but you're right. The way this, not the whole, let's just jump this right now, not the whole fan base, but a lot of the fan base has turned their turn their backs on Robin Leonard, which is ridiculous. Like you said, just the fact that what, what a class act human being he is. And I know if you want to go the sports route, he's not a bad goaltender either. Statistically, look at what he's been able to do in his career. There's some jack off at the arena the other day, and I'm all for feeling, speaking the piece and, and what your opinion is, Tom, but some worthless fool walking around the T-Mobile arena with a shirt on that said, Leonard sucks. We deserve better. I, I don't know what more you can ask from the guy. You know, he's, he's been banged up. He, he obviously is very forthcoming with his mental uh, status, more so than he probably should be opening himself up to idiots on social media. And the guy, look, I've watched Logan Thompson, Tommy, the, the, the current backup or starter right now. I've watched him the last few years in the AHL. I like him. He's young. I think maybe he could progress into not a top-tier goaltender, but I think he could be a very solid NHL goaltender. But I don't think he's the guy you want going into the playoffs, right? You want that veteran. You want Leonard who's been there and done that. And I don't want to hear the excuses of last year. You know, that was also a weird situation with Flurry in the middle of the season. So, and then the switch in the, in the, in the playoff series, right, Tom? They switched it and essentially put that pressure on Leonard. I think he's just been given a raw, raw deal so far. But he's there for a reason. He was kept for a reason. And that's the guy you want going into the playoffs. So I want to see him play in these games, Tom. And – this is the fan base. Parts of it are they're just idiots, man. It's, it's. I agree. You can hate whoever you want. That's your right. But come on, man. You know, this guy has done nothing but been a, t- a good teammate, a guy that's been very forthcoming with hit with himself and his issues. He deserves a lot better. You're right. It's not that we deserve better. He deserves better, Tom. You know, there's 
first of all, that that's just the, the we deserve better thing is ridiculous. What do you mean we deserve better? Why? Why do you deserve better? You know, why? But again, we go back to the entitled fan. Deserve better than what? If you're doing a goalie ranking, Tim, okay, you're talking about this guy has been a finalist for goalie of the year. He's won a Jennings trophy, okay, uh, recently has won that trophy. This is a player that has dealt with some injuries, but his stats aren't appalling. I, I mean, they're not horrendous. If you're ranking Robin Leonard, are you ranking him in the top five goalies in the league? No. no. Is he one of the top 10 worst? No. And we do this often with quarterbacks. I say, you know, you got kind of three tiers. Do I think that Robin Leonard is a, among the top 15 goalies in the NHL? I think he is, Tim. I think he's in the top tier, the top half, but he's not a top tier guy. So somebody wearing that jersey, even if you want to believe he's closer to 20, he's still, you know, on on that cusp of, okay, 10, 20, 30. He's in that middle range. There's no way he's one of the top 10, even 12 worst goalies. So that kind of mentality of we deserve better. You're saying you deserve, you deserve, the word deserve is used. You deserve a top 10 goalie every year. You deserve a top 10 goalie every single year. I mean, what kind of just absolute horrendous kind of moronic take is that? To say that the fan base is divided is one thing, and it is. And if you don't believe that Robin Leonard is the guy, okay, you're entitled to your opinion. I disagree, but that's okay. Um, He hasn't been fantastic this year. I know he's dealt with injuries and time off and everything else. I get all that. But Robin Leonard, for a lot of NHL teams out there, that they would fall over backwards to go grab him. But it's the mentality of we deserve better. You know, I, I hear this a lot with other fan bases and other sport fan bases. Of, well, they, you know, Giancarlo Stanton, well, this guy sucks. Really? Because, you know, maybe he's not putting up MVP numbers, but he's putting up borderline all-star numbers. What are you talking about sucks? I mean, there's always that mentality of this guy is this or this guy is that, and people kind of overshoot things. Robin Leonard is not a goalie that just kind of lost it here. We have that. We've had that around the league. Go look at the Dallas situation. Two years ago, greatest goalie ever. Now he stinks, yo. Go look at St. Louis. Look at what St. Louis is dealing with, right? Two years ago, oh, man, this is going to be one of the greatest goalies ever. Oh, oh here we go. Oh, he's benched. It happens. It really does happen. Look at look at the Avs. Look at the Avalanche. What their goalie situation looked like, you know, just 365 ago. So don't sit back and say you deserve better. No, you don't deserve a top 10 goalie every single year. But I also don't think he's one of the top 10 worst goalies. I mean, if we really break it down, Tim, I still think I got him inside the top half of the league. Are you in that that kind of camp where even on a bad season, quote unquote, that he's still in that top tier, that top half, that that top 15, 16? 100%. I think he's definitely a top 15 guy. I'm a fan, and, and he can be frustrating. There's no doubt about that. I was a fan of his, really what caught my eye was his play with New York. When we talk about the Islanders, that's really where it caught my eye in that, you know, he's like he's never had a, an opportunity to really be on a, on a good team, and, he, and he's here now. And and what is he? What sucks about him? His goals against is two eight, his save percentage is ninety one, 
He's got 23 wins this year. <laughs> what, is he, what sucks about him other than uh, he's been banged up? And, and I, I think a lot of times, look, this isn't a shot at Robert Leonard. It's more of a shot at the defense of the Golden Knights as they've let him down many, many times this season. You know, he's big goalie. Uh, he's, he doesn't make the, the flashy. Here's the thing. He's not flashy, sprawling around, jumping up and down, flurry saves. He's big, and you can't get through him. He's just like a wall. That That's the goal that you're looking at. Maybe he's just not exciting enough for some of these idiots, Tom, because I know that divided is a good word. There's a lot of people that when that photo made around, I mean, some of the things said on social media was great. There's a lot of people that aren't putting up with that because I think they do like Leonard, and I think he could be possibly, if he's healthy and ready to go, here, either in this last stretch or even in for the playoffs, he's a guy that could be a spark plug because you know how it goes with in the playoffs, Tommy, with goalies. All it does is take the little spark, and you can ride them very, very deep. Yeah, and look, I'm a Ranger fan. I look at my goalie, and I go, you know, look, Igor, is he's a top-five guy in the league. I mean, he's just unbelievable. It's great to have that. And Vegas no Golden Knights fans, going back to the original conversation of being spoiled, Vegas Golden Knight fans – had Mark Andre Fleury for years, who for the last uh, you know since their inception, you, you could argue has been a top five goalie. Last year, you know, was a top two goalie. So they're used to that level of just pure and uh, just utter dominance. Well, you know what? You're not going to get that pure and utter dominance, but you can't expect that. But just get get something good. What I think that a lot of hockey fans do forget is, and you just said, well, in New York, what he was. A lot of it's the defense in front of you, too. And it's the defense helping out. And the defense helping that goalie is just vital. Absolutely vital. I just mentioned the Rangers goalie. You know, Igor's been fantastic this year. Well, the Rangers have the second-best defense in the league. Well, the Islanders had a phenomenal defense when Leonard was there. But he also understood how to work with that defense. Maybe it's a communication thing. What gets me is everyone blaming Robin Leonard. And no one is blaming the coaching change, Tim. Nobody yeah. seemed to bring up the fact that the Vegas Golden Knights, uh, who didn't I mention the Rangers a couple of times? Tim, who's coaching the Rangers? Gallant. Oh, the ex-coach okay. of the Knights. Yeah, yeah. When 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 Gallant was let go, and I said it was just one of the dumbest moves I've seen in hockey, and he came to my team, the Rangers, and I go, you know what? Rangers are going to be one of the best teams in the league in a couple of years. I got pushback for that. Why is nobody mentioning the coaching change, but we're all staring at the goalie, Tim? Yeah. It, it's the, the front office involvement, whether it was the GM or even the owner, right, Tom, who's not a fan either. Not a fan there. I, I mean, I think he's too involved in the situation, but basically he, they, they put Leonard in a position that he shouldn't have been put in. It was replacing the fan favorite who they shouldn't have been able to get to begin with. And if you really want to go down this whole black hole tunnel, Tom, shouldn't have been able to get Flurry to begin with. But whatever the case may be five years later, they did a disservice to Robin Leonard by being the replacement for Marc-Andre Flurry, and we're still seeing the, the ramifications of it now. But, Tim, who who's a better coach, Galan or Peter? Look, look I, I didn't like Galan either. I don't like DeBoer, but I think Galan is a better X's and O's coach, no doubt about it. I, I think it's it's obvious, you know, and I, I'll tell you this. I think the difference between Gallant and DeBoer is a larger difference than Florian Leonard. 
I'll go out there and say that. So, you know, Leonard may not be that elite goalie, okay? But you can win with him. It's been proven that you can win with him. And he's had spectacular seasons recently. DeBoer took over this team. It's now going to probably be a non-playoff team. Gallant is thriving with a Rangers team that wasn't a playoff team. And nobody is staring and, and calling out the coach. Where's somebody wearing a, a Vegas Golden Knights jersey calling for DeBoer's head? Where's that guy? Gallant reminds me a lot of Tom Coughlin in that very straight. Right? There's, a, there's a base to what's going on, and it produces – but eventually it wears you out and you have to move on. Whereas DeBoer is more of a player's coach, Tommy, which is great at the beginning again, but eventually that, that gets taken advantage of and you see what happens. And maybe maybe he wasn't the right answer. I don't think he was the right answer at the time either. But Gallant's a guy that will fight against authority above him, whereas DeBoer is more of a yes guy. And I think you see why now. Well, Tim, here, here's the question that we're going to have to answer, probably not now, but in two weeks or so. Maybe not. Listen, Maybe Knights uh, squeak into the playoffs, like you said, win a round or so, and we hold off these questions. But if the Knights do not make the playoffs, Tim, the question you have to ask for a team that fails that big, what do you change? They're not changing the goalie next year. Mm-hmm. They, they just went out there and got you know Jack on this team, and they're not changing the big moves. They're not changing the coach, Tim. What changes and prevents them from doing this again next year? That's a, that's a great question, man. I don't know because I think the way it'll be looked at if they don't make the playoffs is somebody has to be held responsible for this. You can't blame it. Like you said, goalies ain't changing. The goalie's not changing. The, the hey, big moves. He's signed to a five-year deal. He's not going yeah, anywhere. not going anywhere. Big changes aren't changing. Somebody, somebody's going to be held responsible for this, and you can't use the injury excuse. So I don't know whether it would be the current GM that's the scapegoat or they do decide to, to go a different route with DeBoer. I, I don't know. That's That's a great question. I don't think you could go to a third coach in, in what, five years? I I don't know at this point anymore, man. I really don't. Well, the the reason why I ask is because I don't think they do. Here's the thing. If Vegas makes the playoffs, wins a round or two, uh, usually that saves people's jobs. But if they lose, Tim, and they don't make the playoffs, I think they run this back exactly the same. And we've seen this, uh, you know, up and down sports for years. I mean, you remember when, uh, uh, you know, Boston traded everybody away to Brooklyn and what happened there? Uh, they just kept running back and hoping for a better result and hoping that things would change. You know, there there are times where that happens. And here's when you're allowed to do it if you're an owner. I'm not saying it's right, but this is when owners believe this is okay to do. When the fan base goes, oh, okay, no problem. And I worry that this Vegas fan base is just going to say, sure, sure, run it back. It was injuries. It was problems. But we, you know, we had, we had issues. It, it's fine. Run it back. And the ownership is going to go, okay, cool. Yeah, we'll just run it back. That's perfectly fine. We're not going to, they're not going to lose seats. Everyone, everyone's still feeling up that arena, Tim, right? Everyone's still buying jerseys. Yep. So what incentive, if the Vegas Golden Knights don't make the playoffs, what incentive does this team have? to make any wholesale changes. Six games left, game one tomorrow against New Jersey here in Vegas at T-Mobile Arena. And, of course, next week we'll we'll clue you in on what the, what's happening next Sunday night after their matchup with the San Jose Sharks as they head into the final week 
of the NHL regular season. We're going to take our final timeout. And uh, after the break, we'll talk some Major League Baseball. Big, big talk around Clayton Kershaw this past week. We'll explain why and what was the right decision and what and what had, what had happened was, was, was it the right decision? We'll get Tom's thoughts after these few short sponsor breaks. It's Heat Wave Sports here on Fox Sports Radio. Spring training begins in two weeks. Here's a list of the players we'll be inviting to camp. I never heard of half of these guys, and the ones I do know are way past the prime. Most of these guys never had a prime. This guy here is dead. Cross him off, then. This is Heat Wave Sports. Here's Tom Barton and Tim Unglesby. Last segment here on a holiday Sunday night. Again, we appreciate you listening in tonight. We love the feedback we get either via the, the social media on that there, Twitter, direct messages, instant, whatever, however you contact us, we appreciate everybody listening in. And we're going to spend the last 10 minutes or so, Tommy, on Major League Baseball, and not even so much what, what's going on. We're, look, we're 10 games into the year for most teams. I, I've done nothing but enjoy sitting my butt on the couch, Tom, every day watching baseball. This is great. This is what I live for. And this is what uh, heading into our our senior years, Tommy, this is what I know I'll be doing for sure. But I wanted to bring up more so what happened Wednesday in Minnesota because there there is no discussion for this as far as I'm concerned. And what had happened was uh, all around class act, human being in Clayton Kershaw, Tommy was outs away from not having a no hitter. Having a perfect game, that, that's the, the road he was on at, the, at that time. He was 80 pitches in, which is at that, that point in the game, he was mowing through the, the twin lineup. There was no reason in my mind that Dave should have taken him out of this game. And it wasn't even for, I, I won't even say for glory or personal honor, Tom. It's just the fact that if you're a fan watching on TV, if you're a fan listening on radio, if you still do that, if you're a fan sitting there at Target Field watching this, the Dodgers, whether it was Dave Roberts or whoever the hell made this call, they potentially cost fans across the country an opportunity looking at history. Not a no-hitter, Tom, a perfect game with a guy who deserves to be put in that situation. They cost us all that opportunity to see something like that. I was disgusted by what I saw. Disgusting is a word that I used, Tim. Disgusting is absolutely pinpoint. And Dave Roberts should be ashamed of himself. Dave Roberts is a terrible manager as it is, and, and this is just it's – a, it's a ridiculous situation. It really is. 23 times a perfect game in Major League history. 23 in the history of baseball. And Clayton Kershaw, who is this generation's greatest pitcher by far, and I have argued on this show the greatest pitcher in baseball history, had a chance to join that list. Had a, an aging kind of situation with him. 13 strikeouts, and they pull him with 80 pitches. Ridiculous. And you said it. You know, look, he's a class act. He said, oh, sure, we came to an agreement. Yeah, no, 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 no. This was all Dave Roberts. And I don't want to hear Kershaw's older. I don't want to hear arm injuries. No, no, no. 80 pitches, guys. 80. If he was at 105, I'd say take it back. If he was at 100, i go, okay, all right, I get it. Well, there's a shortened spring, and there's a this and that. So you don't think that Clayton Kershaw, you know – the veteran that he is knows his situation. Plus the, the idea, Tim, it matters how you get there. We all know we've all coached or 
played at the lower levels. We all understand pitch and every sequence and how you get there is not the same, right? It It's how you get to that spot. Clayton Kershaw was actually throw, throwing two miles per hour less in that game than normally. He was throwing about 89 miles per hour. His entire repertoire that game was easy curveballs, easy off-speed pitches. The Dodgers were never in trouble in that game. That's an easy 80. That's not a stressful 80. He wasn't reaching back at his golden age and older years and trying to dial it up to 95, 96 miles per hour. If you watch that game, which I did, because I took Kershaw in that game, and I took uh, you know Kershaw's on every fantasy team I own, but I also bet him on in that game. You have Kershaw in that game, Tim. It was a it was a rocking chair kind of game to use a baseball term. It was easy. It was off speed. He was kind of having fun out there. That was not a stressful eighty. And to further the point of Dave Roberts, this atrocious, atrocious manager with zero rings. Yes. He has zero championships with this Dodger team. Do not give me the bubble ball, okay? Same thing with you LeBron lovers out there. LeBron has no championships with the Lakers, and Dave Roberts has no championships with the Dodgers. So Dave Roberts, in the history of Major League Baseball, Tim, there's been two men removed from a game that had a perfect game after the seventh inning. Dave Roberts removed both of them. So this isn't a fluke. This isn't a Dodgers organizational thing. This wasn't a one-time, well, you know what, it's Clayton Kershaw. No, no, no. There is, there is now a history of this. There is now a paper trail of Dave Roberts doing this more than one time. He did it against Rich Hill. Yeah. Clayton, you, you mentioned, like, you know, essentially he's, this was the quote. He said, but at the end of the day, in the moment, I felt like the right decision. I can't go back now. That's just him being a a good human being in that he, he does the correct thing, right? Thomas, you, you back your manager's decision. He's a, he's a true baseball player, but part of me wanted to be that guy where you fight the system and Clayton Kershaw has earned that he's earned the right to say, you know what, Dave, I respect you, but until I give up a walk or a hit, I'm staying out there. And I think that would have been the right move for Clayton Kershaw to do. You know, he, mow, he was mowing through that lineup, 13 Ks on 80 pitches through seven. That just shows you what a stand-up person Clayton Kershaw and what an idiot Dave Roberts is. I would have been like, Dave, I'm not coming out until this perfect game is done. If once it's up, either I get it or somehow we find a way to lose it, but I'm staying out there, and I think he's earned that right to make that decision. And here's the thing, you know, Dave Roberts could have waited one more inning. Now, I think that he didn't wait one more inning because then we'd really be flipping out, okay? Um, But he could have waited one more inning. If Kershaw leaves the next inning with 95, 97 pitches, let's say, okay, now you have that. Now you have a little bit of credence. Look, you know, he's going to have to get through the next inning. I didn't want him to go 110 pitches in the first start. I, I get all that. But, Tim, the way that Kershaw was pitching, he had gone through seven innings, and he had 80 pitches. He's averaging, I mean, I mean, do you know, do the numbers. Eight innings would have been 10 pitches an inning. He's averaging 10, 12 pitches an inning. Okay. He had two innings in a row there where it was under 10 pitches. He, he was he could have got out of that next inning, eight, nine pitches. What is the difference between you know 80 pitches and 90 pitches? Is 80 pitches and 90 pitches, Tim, gonna ruin your arm? Is 80 pitches to 95 pitches going to ruin your arm? I get it. You want to go, don't want to go over that 100 mark? All right. He had 20 pitches to get to 100. And again, Clayton Kershaw is a veteran. Your team 
is also the most expensive team in baseball, right? Your team has considered your team, not that you want to lose Kershaw, but your team is not reliant upon only Clayton Kershaw, who we all know, even, even if the most optimistic Dodger fan knows, what is he going to make? 150 innings this year. He's not going deep into game. He's not going to make 33 starts this year. It's just not happening. So you handle him and you go, you could do something that 23 guys have ever done. This was a situation where I would have been upset, Tim, if he was at 95 or 100 pitches. I would have been upset, but I wouldn't have flipped out. At 80 pitches, and the way he got to 80, this was a disservice to Clayton Kershaw. This was a disservice to Dodger fans. And this was a disservice to the game of baseball. The game of baseball is trying to grow. And all we ever hear is that they got to try to grow. They're trying to get new fans. They're trying to engage. Oh, we got to do this. We got to promote our stars. If Clayton Kershaw pitches a perfect game, he's on the cover of every newspaper in the country. He is the lead story in every sports story for the weekend. Okay. Going up against NBA playoffs. He's there. I mean, he is the number one story at the end of the year. They're going to highlight Clayton Kershaw, a surefire hall of famer. This would have promoted the game, promoted the Dodgers, given the fans something, given Kershaw something, given the team something. The only person, the only person that was looking out for themselves is Dave Roberts. Because Dave Roberts was like, man, I leave him out there and he gets hurt. People are going to be mad at me. Dave Roberts, you're a terrible, terrible manager. Kershaw on the bump tomorrow night at Dodger Stadium. Tom, the world champion Braves come to town. Minus 190, Dodgers. Yeah, look, I, I, how do you not go against – how do you ever go against Kershaw at home? I mean, you just can't. He's the greatest home pitcher in baseball. He's going for his 100th home win in Dodger Stadium. I mean, the, the, the guy's unbelievable. He's fantastic. Playing Kershaw at home is just money. And uh, I, I expect Kershaw to have a huge year this year. I thought he was going to have a huge year this year. And you look at Clayton Kershaw and who he is and uh, – the, the kind of games that we can expect from him. Tim, I think he puts up another very nice game. But look, he's not going to strike out 13, and he's not going to give you a an absolute perfect game. No, he's not going to do that. But I look at this and I go, yeah, Clayton Kershaw, you know what? He's going to go out there. He's going to pitch real well once again. Tommy, we're going to get on out of here. Another great Sunday night in the books. Let everybody know about Tom Barton Sports and all the many platforms that Tom Barton is on himself. Yeah, guys, listen, NBA playoffs this year, like I said, 17-4 and four this year in the NBA playoffs. I am crushing hockey over 60%. Major League Baseball just started off to a red-hot start there. You get it all at TomBartonSports.com for 30 full days. 30 full days from April 18th. May 18th, you're going to get it all for less than $100. It's TomBartonSports.com. Also, please check out the YouTube channel. It's Tom Barton Sports. I did a Major League Baseball preview. I will have a new video up tomorrow. Might just talk about the Kershaw stuff. I'll have a new video up, and we'll get into that as well over there. You guys, please check out Sports Garden, SGN, hashtag SGN, SGN Network. Want to bet and wagering week of the podcast. Want to bet weekend edition is going on, and believe in betting. Also, if you guys like Ivy League sports, I'm still doing some Ivy League sports. And I will tell you, I know the draft is coming. I'm going to have a big preview on an Ivy League quarterback that I expect to be drafted on day two, round two. He's under the radar. Most people are rating him as like a top four overall quarterback. Go check it out. Believe in the Ivy League. 
And I want to have everybody go to H at HW Sports over on Twitter. Tom, I'm not I'm no Tom Barton, but I've been doing a kind of a play a day or every other day free pick up there seven and two in baseball so far. You are crushing it, man! Absolutely crushing it. Tommy, have a great week. We'll talk to you. We're on both days next week. So Saturday night, we're back. NFL draft talk for sure. Uh, Until then, uh, always, you're the man, Tommy. Have a good night, everybody. For Tom Barton, Ryan back in the booth. Appreciate all the work he does for us. Tim Unglesby, again, have a great sports week. We'll talk to you next Saturday night at 10 o'clock. It's Heat Wave Sports only on Fox Sports Radio Las Vegas, 98.9 FM, 1340 AM. Good night.